The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Good morning and welcome to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. I'm your host, Jessica Pirro, and I thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, Each week, we really provide uh, an in-depth discussion on the various topics that crisis centers across the country um, experience and deal with, as well as partnerships that we work with in our community to help those that are impacted by crisis. Um, And today, we'll be talking about one of those partnerships that Crisis Services here in Buffalo, New York has with our local NAMI chapter. Um, And my guest uh, is going to be speaking to that as well. So let me just give you a little bit of an overview of what the show is about. You know, when our loved ones are diagnosed with mental illness, we really do everything we can to support them. But sometimes what we fail to realize is that it's just as critical to provide support to the entire family and to recognize the impact of this diagnosis on the entire family unit. So in today's show, you'll hear from a family member who's really turned her experience into empowerment, helping families understand and advocate for their loved ones with mental illness. We'll discuss the impact on the family, the work that the family needs to do to help themselves as much as their loved one, and also hear about options that are available to provide help, hope, and encouragement. So I want to introduce you to my guest today. Uh, Her name is Marcy Rose, and let me tell you a little bit about Marcy. Marcy is a retired uh, registered nurse and has been a member of the National Alliance on Mental Illness in Buffalo and Erie County for over 15 years, and she had just served as the president of the NAMI of Buffalo and Erie County from 2012 to 2016. NAMI is a grassroots organization of volunteers, and it was founded in 1984 and focuses to educate, assist, and advocate for those affected by mental illness. Marcy is also a state trainer of NAMI's free family-to-family 12-week course about mental illness and is trained in teaching NAMI's Homefront. It's a six-week course for families of veterans and active military. As a community advocate, she assists with the uh, crisis services crisis intervention training for police officers and first responders. She speaks to families uh, about the family perspective when a mental health crisis occurs. She has given talks to medical students, mental health counselors, 
counselors, social work students, and is an active advocate for legislation to help improve access and provision of mental health care. So I want to welcome Marcy to the show. And before we we begin our discussion, I just want to remind our listeners that if you do have a question during the show, please email us at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. We definitely want to hear from you and what questions you might have um, about this conversation today. So, Marcy, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you were able to join me today. Um, I think right to start off with, we should probably talk about what is mental illness. So could you share a little bit of that with our listeners? Sure. Thank you for having me, Jessica. Our discussion, I want to remind our listeners that it will revolve mainly around severe mental illness and the experiences I have been privy to over 16 years of actively working with families and my personal experiences as a family member. So often uh, the discussion of severe mental illness is ignored um, with the discussion of mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what we'd like to talk about today because those are the people that NAMI Buffalo usually sees, the families of people with severe and persistent serious mental illness. So mental illnesses are medical conditions. They disrupt a person's thinking, feeling, mood, and the ability to relate to others and daily functioning. Just as diabetes is a disorder of the pancreas, mental illnesses are medical conditions that often result in a diminished capacity for coping with the ordinary demands of life. They include major depression, schizophrenia, Bipolar Disorder Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, which is called OCD, Panic Disorder, Post Traumatic Stress Disorder, PTSD, and Borderline Personality Disorder. And the good news about mental illness is that recovery is possible. They can affect persons of any age, race, religion, or income, and they're not the result of personal weakness, lack of character, or poor upbringing. They are treatable, and most people diagnosed with a serious mental illness can experience relief from their symptoms by actively participating in an individual treatment plan. And we'll be doing some talking about how difficult that can be for people and for families. Good. Well, that's a good, it helps to really kind of shape the conversation so people understand, especially the, like you mentioned, the severe mental mental illnesses that sometimes don't get the attention that they need. Mm-hmm. And they're the most challenging for families as well. So we want to make sure that we're really providing a good overview of that. So Marcy, can you share, like, what is the experience like when a loved one is diagnosed with a serious mental illness? You had shared that you, as a loved one, have had this experience yourself. So what is that, that experience like when you first have that type of diagnosis happen? Well, I think it's, it's very individual, depending on the family and the people involved. Um, sometimes there is mental illness throughout a family, mm-hmm. so those families have the experience of just going through it all over again and the trauma reoccurring. For other people, and we see a lot of these in NAMI, who have no history of family mental illness, Uh, And this can hit someone between the ages of 16 and 25 Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and really knocks the family upside the head. Uh, Confusion is usually the first thing. Shock, embarrassment, Mm. disbelief. There's guilt, 
because they wonder if they caused it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. grief for the loss they experience, anger, and fear. The loss of a trusting relationship if involuntary hospitalization occurs or calling police to get help. And those calling for help are often exhausted because they dread telling these very personal symptoms to a complete stranger. The police or crisis services people are all strangers to them. Right, right. And it feels like betrayal of their loved one. Fear of arrest if there is property damage or violence. And the person you know and love can be acting or speaking strangely. You can no longer count on that personality that you thought you knew. Um, And this is particularly true if there is psychosis, which is a loss of reality Mm -hmm. in the person who is ill. Uh, As they relapse and become more seriously ill before treatment, uh, psychosis is often an occurrence. The stigma of mental illness can make you withdraw from friends, and it can cause you to keep the secret from your family. Mm -hmm. Um, You try to protect your loved one's job, their education, and their reputation. And spouses are often left feeling with the feeling of losing a partner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's an incident of violence or a suicide attempt that makes people seek treatment. Loud music, pounding walls, yelling, destruction of the home or objects in the home. Um, That's very frightening to families. They've never seen that behavior before. In depression, there can be a severe withdrawal from life with Mm -hmm. all that that entails. Spouses are often left with the feeling of losing a life partner, and quite often they're angry about that. Right, right. These symptoms, for the most part, disappear when the illness is treated properly. Mm Properly being the important qualifier. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot that goes into that proper type of treatment, which I know we'll be talking about. I know you touched on it a little bit already um, about the different emotions family members go through um, after a loved one is diagnosed. Um, you had mentioned embarrassment, um, anger. Um, many There's many different feelings. Can you highlight just a couple and maybe talk a little bit about um, what that's really like for somebody to go through that? Well, I can quote our Family to Family course where we talk about the stages of emotional response in three stages. And these were written by um, a psychologist who wrote the course, Joyce Berland. The first one is dealing with the event. The feeling of crisis, chaos, shock, denial, Mm -hmm. normalizing, that's a big one. Mm and hoping against hope that this diagnosis isn't true. Mm -hmm. And the second stage is learning to cope. It entails anger, guilt, resentment, recognition of the problem, and grief. Once those stages are worked through, you come through to advocacy. And sometimes all these stages are mixed at the same time. Right, right. Um, understanding, acceptance, advocacy, and taking action. Mm -hmm. You might recognize these as similar to the stages of grief or the response to trauma. Absolutely, and I think it's important to um, 
also note that these things aren't linear in any way, right. that they're going to happen in different stages and phases and kind of be intertwined as well for the family. So to understand that, even though you feel like you might have gone through your anger and your coping and you maybe you're at the advocacy stage, you might go back to the anger stage very quickly if something occurs or frustrations occur about how maybe the treatment is being provided or how the system's responding. So just to normalize the fact that it isn't a linear process, I think is important to share with our listeners that it's in, it's something that does get kind of connected um, as you're going through those different emotions, um, I think is important to highlight. So when a diagnosis happens, what should a family do first? Well, the first thing is to find a good doctor and therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to have a friend who had confided in me that she went through a similar thing with her daughter. So she was the person I called first, Mm -hmm. and I got some very good recommendations. The second is, after you find a good doctor, to get a diagnosis, because that will determine the treatment, and that will determine the medications. And the next thing you should do, if you can't do it first, is to find NAMI, Mm -hmm. because we can give you the reliable resources. There's a lot of misinformation out there, particularly if you're using the Internet. Mm-hmm. So educate yourself about the illness, but be sure you're getting good information. We do have links on our NAMI Buffalo website, and we'll be giving you the link to that website at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because we have such a wide range of an audience that's listening in today, we'll be definitely highlighting our Buffalo uh, NAMI and the amazing work that they're doing. But I do want to share the national NAMI website, which is just NAMI.org, N-A-M-I.org, so that people can, can make that connection if they're listening in other um, states or even out of the country. They can at least connect with um, NAMI and know that there's a resource there to help you through that. Um, So when someone is diagnosed, um, I'm sure telling uh, the family or your extended family may be difficult. Uh, Can you walk us through how maybe uh, a family member could talk about um, their loved one's mental illness with other family members or friends? Yes, I I think it's very helpful um, if you find someone that you can trust, that you feel comfortable with. Um, It's really important to speak out and to try to explain to people what is going on. You need to explain that it's a biologically based brain disorder, which can be compared to any chronic illness, Mm -hmm. like diabetes or asthma, and they need lifelong treatment. It's a medical condition that affects a person's thinking, feeling, mood, and the ability to relate to others and their daily functioning. This is important for people to understand because if you have family gatherings, um, people are often intimidated about how to behave and Mm -hmm. how to talk to this person. Absolutely. Uh, The symptoms can be treated, and most people with mental illnesses can have successful lives, families, and jobs. Address the discomfort of stigma and the sometimes embarrassing behaviors, which are symptoms and not not necessarily permanent Mm -hmm. with proper treatment. Mental illnesses cannot be overcome through willpower and are not related to intelligence or a person's character. And some people can have relapses in spite of staying in treatment, or they can have a condition known as anosinosia, 
which affects a part of the brain and makes them unable to realize they have an illness. Mm, Interesting. That's interesting because I think for family members or friends, like you mentioned, it can be difficult to know how do you talk with somebody? uh, What do you say? But also just the hope that they're just going to get better and this is going to go away. And that's, you know, like you mentioned, that comparison to other physical illnesses is really important for people to understand like a diabetes or any other type of chronic condition. Mental illness is like that, that it's part of who that person is now and how to then make sure that they get the proper treatment so that they can live successfully with the mental illness is important for people to to really understand that it's not just going to go away after taking a few pills or maybe having a couple counseling sessions. It's something that's an ongoing process for a successful outcome. Um, So I just wanted to kind of reiterate that those messages that you shared. Um, What are some challenges that parents, you know, especially for uh, an adult child when they're first diagnosed, what is some difficulties for the parents? Well, this is an adult child. Keep in mind that this we're talking about the adult right now. And often a period of 8 to 10 years can pass before a diagnosis is ever made. Mm-hmm. Sometimes symptoms that people keep to themselves or don't want to be true um, interfere with them seeking help or telling their parents or friends. And a person is usually in the most formative and productive parts of their life. Um, You want to protect them because of college or a job. Mm -hmm. There are insurance issues that come up, health Mm -hmm. insurance issues. Mm -hmm. Driving, housing, are they able to live on their own? Safety, are they able to make good judgments? Legal and arrest issues come up. Leaving town Becoming a missing person mm. is is terribly frightening and very upsetting for people. Again, anisinosia, where people don't know they're ill, interferes with treatment. It also makes them resistant to their family's advice. HIPAA privacy interferes mm-hmm. with information sharing for families. Once someone is over the age of 18, forget it. Families aren't entitled to even know the diagnosis or when appointments will be made. And then health issues come up because people are avoiding psychiatric treatment. They tend to avoid health treatment as well. Right, right. Um, And when and how to apply for disability as time goes on because for families it's hard to admit that this is a permanent disability and this person may not be able to go back to work Mm -hmm. or to college. When do you say it's time? Right, right. And it's, you know, the difficulty, like you said, is it's an adult child. So the ability that the parent has over what they're doing, where they're going, who they're seeing is not the same as if they were a younger child and you have those controls. And I think that's one of the challenges I know for for a lot of our parents um, who struggle with um, caring for their adult child with mental illness. It's just that um, they're making their own choices. And sometimes um, it's hard when they're in the in the in the midst of that psychosis or that mental illness to make choices that are going to be the best benefit for them. And as a parent, you're kind of watching from the sidelines and kind of hoping for the best sometimes. And I know that can be a real, real difficult place for for parents to be in. So, um, you know, we're going to be heading into break in just a little bit here. So I just wanted to reiterate, um, you know, we are going to be sharing specifically for our Buffalo, uh, New York listeners, the NAMI information for our 
our local uh, chapter, but I do want to share with you that there is the national um, website that you could go to, and it has a lot of great information and a lot of the stuff that um, our has been sharing um, that you could read and kind of get some more information. So if you want to check out that website while you're listening to the show, the uh, web address is www.nami.org. Again, it's nami.org. Um, and uh, we'll be sharing the Buffalo information as well, which is namibuffalony.org. Um, so please, you know, check out these resources and these websites to, to help you out. So um, we're going to be heading into break. So please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pira. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Marcy Rose, and we've been talking about uh, mental illness and the impact on the family. Um, and Marcy has shared some great information so far, and we have a lot that we want to make sure we get covered today um, to leave you with some good support and information to look into if you are a family member with someone that you love that um, has mental illness. So, Marcy, you know, you shared a lot in the first segment, and I think what's important is um, – if we can share with our listeners maybe some lessons learned that you've heard from parents on what they felt they did well when learning about their their child, their adult child's diagnosis, um, and maybe what they would have done differently. Yes, as I speak with families about what they did well and their regrets, some of the things that people are glad they did was to treat and diagnose as soon as possible, find a good doctor, get a diagnosis, and get treatment. And the first year, as we know now, is extremely important. 
um, that people get the right medication that they can live with, that they're comfortable with, and that they also get the combination of treatment and counseling. Keeping records of the medications with the dosages, the name of the med, the response to the medication, and the side effects are really important because doctors in future treatment will want to know what happened. Hospitals, if they are hospitalized, want those records. Um, The other thing is they were really glad they found NAMI because they had support, they had people who could rally around them, and they could get reliable information. They educated themselves. Knowledge is so empowering. Even if you can't change things, just understanding really helps. Right, right. They sought support from friends and family. There was an issue of trust and whether or not um, they really could tell them. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that people say did not go so well were not getting counseling along with medications. That's mm-hmm. a biggie, especially mm-hmm. if you're in private therapy with a psychiatrist. Right, right. They didn't know about NAMI. We're trying to rectify that as much as possible. Uh, diagnosis was not discussed or disclosed to them, usually because of HIPAA mm-hmm. or access to the doctor. People need to know that they can speak to the doctor. The doctor doesn't necessarily tell them anything private. Uh, if that doesn't work, you can always write a letter, and that usually helps a lot. Um, they also uh, had a lack of record keeping. Mm-hmm. And part of that, again, is communication because they didn't get the information and they, even though they asked, they didn't get it. Uh, They withdrew from friends and family. Find somebody that you can trust to tell. It really takes some of the pressure off. They withdrew from, from their friends and family and that left them really alone. Did not take care of themselves in the crisis. And we're going to talk a little bit. It's about self care later. And arguments with their spouse about how to communicate and treat. Don't expect to be on the same page all the time because your spouse might be someplace else that you're not. Right, right. And I think the piece that you mentioned about not only seeing the psychiatrist or getting the medication, but to actually go to counseling as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of times people think, I get the medication, that's all I need. But we need to have people... um, understanding that that talk therapy, that talk treatment um, is just as important as the medication because it helps you to build your own coping skills and your ability to live with the diagnosis um, as well. And I think that's something we see a lot is that people don't, they, they do the medication, but they don't necessarily do the counseling. And I think that's a really important message to share that um, is the, the two are needed. It's not just the one. And I think that's an important message to share. So what support does the family need to have in place to make the outcome more successful for everyone that's impacted by this diagnosis? Well, as we've already touched on a little bit, good family relationships are really important. If you have a strong marriage going into it, whether it's a spouse or a child or an adult, right. um, family member like a parent, um, strong family connections really help. A good family doctor, not just a psychiatrist or a counselor that you can rely on, but sometimes a good family doctor can make all the difference. Family needs to educate themselves together. Um, 
again, they would all be on the same page, but helping each other understand what's going on mm-hmm. really is paramount. The family needs to discuss with each other um, with reactions to treatment refusal and what behavior will be allowed in the home mm-hmm. if the mm-hmm. person that's ill is living with you. And you need to plan for an emergency if your loved one relapses. You need to be aware of the signs and symptoms that are relapse symptoms. Phone numbers for crisis services, the police, the doctor, the hospital, and to have important records readily available. I keep mine on the computer. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that planning ahead um, is, is helpful because when the crisis does occur, no matter if you think you have it all in your mind and it's ready to go, you're in the crisis as well right. with your loved one. And it's important that you have something that you can pull out and kind of reference to kind of guide you and give you some some points that you know, okay, I need to call here, I need to do this, um, I think is, is, an important, is an important suggestion, is that planning piece. Mm-hmm. And the other piece that you mentioned that I think is important is to, to learn the, the patterns of behavior and what signs and symptoms mm-hmm. might start um, to lead to a crisis and trying to intervene a little bit sooner than the, when the crisis blows up. Um, if you start to see those patterns of behaviors changing, maybe that's when you're reaching out or trying to encourage them to talk with their counselor to, to see what's going on and maybe that could help prevent a crisis from right. happening as well. So understanding all those patterns are, are real important pieces as well for family members, I would I would mm-hmm. think um, as well. So um, so what are some issues that just come up over time for families as they're, they're dealing with this? Quite often at this point in their family member's life, um, education and job is a major concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, family members, if there's a hospitalization and the person needs to be medicated, uh, explaining to the people that they work with exactly what has happened. Um, should they quit college? Can they continue? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're too ill, people need to know that colleges have ombudsmen who can help get them what's called an administrative withdrawal, and they probably can get uh, reimbursement for oh, interesting. tuition. Okay. Um, again, some of the issues, anisinosia, that refusing treatment because they don't think they're ill, and the side effects of the medication why would they take something that makes them feel rotten mm-hmm. if there's nothing wrong with them? Uh, missing people. Mm. Quite often family members disappear or leave for long periods of time. Uh, we have two family members that I know of from our family-to-family class who are dealing with that, and it's been years. Mm. Mm. Um, self-medicating. People get into drugs and alcohol um, because they're self-medicating. They don't want to take the drugs that the doctor wants them to take or they add to them to help themselves be rid of some of the side effects of the psychiatric medications. Again, the HIPAA privacy problems interfere with people uh, getting the information they need about their family member, when appointments are and what medications they're on. Mm -hmm. Housing becomes a big problem. Do they live at home? And how long does the family help them? How about affordability? It becomes very expensive if you're trying to keep two households so your family member can live by themselves. And again, chronic illnesses and dental problems, things like smoking, um, an extreme amount of smoking. They 
think that it helped people clear their minds, people in schizophrenia. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we see a large amount of smoking, which, again, everybody knows the problems that right, that can right. cause. It's causing another problem, um, absolutely. Diabetes, which is another chronic disorder that can be caused by the antipsychotic medications. Mm. Well, you know, it's... It, these are things that, you know, you think of day in and day out that people are managing um, not only, you know, the concern of their loved one, but then the impact that it has on them. So what what helps families to cope through all this? Um, I've noticed mainly for people is education. The more education they can get about what's happening helps them to cope. Self-care is so important. You need to remember that you have to keep yourself healthy. Um, I can't stress enough the physical symptoms that people often feel from stomach upsets to Mm -hmm. insomnia. Um, But things like exercise, taking a walk even, reading, removing yourself from the mental health aspect and subject of reading Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, to just something that you enjoy, something that's fun. I found going to a movie with that great big screen in front of you, you tend to forget the world out there. Right. Gardening. A lot of people mention gardening. And believe it or not, the biggie in our family groups is shopping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meditation and yoga, people usually tend to scoff at that. But it is so immensely helpful. There are a lot of tapes out there that can help people mm-hmm. learn how to relax. Support groups are helpful. Uh, the support of family and friends. I had one friend who was totally embarrassed uh, by a specific act of violence that her son created. Mm-hmm. And the next day, she got flowers from the neighbors. Mm. She was so embarrassed. She thought nobody would communicate or talk to her again. And the, the neighbors actually took up a collection and bought her oh. flowers. It's really moving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Speaking out, the stigma of mental health is so great. Um, Speaking out about mental health issues, legislation, committees, crisis intervention, advocating for your loved one, Mm -hmm. um, and helping others. Absolutely. You know, and I think what's important um, with how to cope is also that you as a parent um, or a spouse um, need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself um, Mm -hmm. just as much as your loved one. And I think that's the message we want a lot of people to take away with today is that in order for you to help your loved one, you have to make sure that you're not that you're caring for yourself, that you're not letting yourself be your health be impacted or your uh, well-being being impacted because you're so focused on what's going on in front of you with your family member because then you're both not going to be able to help each other. Um, And I think that's an important message to to highlight. Um, So what are some uh, typical feelings? You know, we talked about that a little bit already, but some other typical feelings that family members might experience. Is there anything else that you'd want to highlight there? Well, one of the things that I read a little while ago is that, that if the family member is healthy themselves and take care of themselves, take vacations, Um, which sometimes is impossible for people, uh, is that the family member feels less guilt. Mm -hmm. The people who are ill actually don't verbalize that, but it interferes with their getting well. Mm -hmm. They feel a sense of guilt about the family. Um, A lot of times 
siblings are distancing themselves from the situation and they're holding things in like, um, can I inherit this? Can I have children? Uh, Sometimes there's resentment, depression. Like I mentioned, insomnia is a big one. Difficulty eating and hypervigilance on the part of the family, Mm. waiting for the next shoe to drop all the time and that constant feeling of pressure and tension. So, you know, what is guidance that you can provide for a parent um, especially that needs to talk with their other children. You mentioned siblings uh, in, your, in your last comments. But, I, you know, I'm thinking about maybe younger children in the family um, or other siblings. How does the parent talk with, the, with the, those other brothers and sisters about their other child's mental illness? What are some maybe guidance or tips you can share um, with, with that information? Okay, it's important that you speak with your child in language that's appropriate for their age level. Um, You can look for books and handouts that are written for children. We have quite a few books for children, for example, that grandparents can read to their grandchildren about why mom and dad is, or dad is angry all the time. Um, Movies sometimes offer examples that can be used. One of the found, one that I thought was clever was to use the example of the Lion King, mm-hmm. where Simba suffers depression after the death of his father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in comparing mental illnesses to other physical illnesses can help to normalize it more. The behavior is sometimes upsetting and hard to understand. It's important to be educated about the disorder so that you can explain it to your child. Um, If a child has seen violent or suicidal behavior, situations requiring police intervention or another traumatic incident, don't underestimate how terrifying it is for that child Mm -hmm. and make them comfortable in expressing how they feel. Ask your child if they think the reason why their family member is acting differently, if they understand why. Explain that mental illness can make a person act strange or confusing and reassure them that the adults in the family and other people are trying to help them get better. Make sure your child knows what to do and who to call if they don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. Help your child realize that when they try to talk about the family member's illness, friends and family may make fun of it. They may say things that aren't true and practice with your child what they might say to their friends or other people. That's a great, that's a great suggestion. And I think um, that practicing, regardless of what age, I mean, I think for younger kids could be really helpful, but just to be able to know how to respond to those types of comments or, again, we're, we're dealing with the stigma of mental illness. And a lot of times when we try to talk about it with those that aren't familiar or aren't experiencing it, um, you know, they definitely... Um, uh, they definitely struggle with how to, to respond to that. So I know that there's, you know, definitely some different, uh, again, the developmental stage that a child is at is going to be really important. And um, it's important for, you know, between the preschool age children, um, what type of le- level of detail you provide or the school age children, you know, they might be more curious and want more specifics. Um, and obviously teenagers are, you know, at a point now where they can maybe take more on and understand those difficult questions a little bit more. So, 
it is really critical for families to communicate regularly um, about the impact of the mental illness, what's going on, uh, the, the behaviors, the symptoms, what they might see, but also what they can say and what they should say, um, and also who they reach out to if they're feeling unsafe or if they're scared or need somebody to talk to. So it's really that planning piece. You know, we talked about that too in that crisis moment when family members might start to see signs and symptoms leading to the crisis, that planning of having things laid out, written out. It's the same thing, I think, for in those conversations when you're talking with um, your friends or family or, you know, for kids, maybe their classmates, um, that they really do have a sense of what to say so that they're not struggling in that moment that might be really scary and uncomfortable for them, depending to um, what age they're at and and all that they're experiencing. So um, we have uh, talked a a lot about this issue of of being a parent of an adult uh, child with mental illness and what to do. And there's more that we have to to touch on as well in our next segment. So we're going to be heading into break. But I want to remind everybody that NAMI is available. The national website is NAMI.org. And our local website here in Buffalo, New York is NAMIBuffaloNY.org. So please check out these websites to get more information. So please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's j-p-i-r-r-o voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to The Journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone. Um, my guest today and who I've been talking with about uh, mental illness is Marcy Rose. And Marcy is a member of our NAMI in Buffalo and Erie County. Um, and again, NAMI is a national group that you can find, um, you know, by just Googling uh, NAMI.org. Um, and you'll be able to also connect with your local NAMI chapter um, throughout the country um, as a resource. And as Marcy has definitely stressed, um, NAMI is really one of those first steps to connect with when you're 
your adult child is diagnosed with a mental illness because there's other parents there to help support you and guide you and educate you on what you need to know uh, to really support you through this process. So, um, you know, in this segment, I'd really like uh, Marcy to talk uh, about NAMI so that people really get to an understanding of all the details that NAMI can offer. So can you just kind of give us an overview of NAMI and, and what, uh, what they provide? Um, NAMI is an acronym, N-A-M-I, for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's a grassroots organization dedicated to improving the treatment for those affected by mental illness. It began in 1974 uh, as a national organization, and our local NAMI Buffalo was begun in 1984 by a group of a small group of dedicated parents and has grown to over 450 friends and volunteers Mm -hmm. as members. Our mission is to educate, to advocate for, and support those who are affected by mental illness. That's it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And it's, you know, and I can't stress enough to, um, as a provider in our community, as a crisis center, the partnership we have with NAMI um, is such a critical partnership because it's providing all different perspectives of service when you're responding to mental illness. Um, And so for other crisis centers, throughout the country, if you haven't connected with your local NAMI chapter, I would highly encourage you to do so because it's a great partnership um, that we have here in Buffalo and Erie County. Um, what are some maybe services specifically that NAMI provides to families? Um, in case people are wondering, I, I want to stress that NAMI has a state component, a national component, and a local affiliate. Okay. So in case people are confused by that, there are different websites they could go to. Um, the services that we provide here in Buffalo, we have three monthly support groups now, one in Amherst, one in Hamburg, and one on Niagara Street in Buffalo. Um, monthly educational meetings with speakers, particular to mental health services. Um, we have family to family. Family, which is a 12-week course that's free, taught by uh, trained facilitators. Um, we have NAMI Homefront, which is similar to that, but it's only six weeks long, and it's for families of veterans. We have a phone call system that we take calls from people who need support. Um, we are volunteers and experienced family members. Quarterly newsletter with up-to-date mental health information. We have a library cart with books that we roll out for all of our meetings, and that's available for members to borrow from. We have a Christmas is for Kids project, and Christmas is for adults now, (laughs) um, where we supply gifts for adults or children, uh, several hundred children Mm -hmm. in the mental health system. Uh, We have a Mind Matters book that we are currently updating. It's very much outdated. Um, but it's taken a couple years using volunteers and making phone calls and getting all of our information together. So that is also on our website. Uh, a lot of social workers use it, counselors, the hospitals, and a lot of family members. Uh, we provide speakers for agencies or programs like CIT pro- trainings, even Girl Scout badges on mental health. Great. Uh, speak with social workers, medical students, and civic organizations. All are free. And all of our meetings are open to the 
public. That's great. I love that the Girl Scouts do has a mental health badge now. How how awesome is that? Yeah. That they took that stand to to make sure that we understand that mental health is an important conversation at all ages, especially for for our young girls. Um, so you know, you mentioned support groups as as an option that's available for families. What types of support groups are provided? Like, what is it that actually occurs when when somebody goes to a support group? There's an actually a format and a training for NAMI support groups so that everybody there is a family member who is facilitating it. Um, it's open to anyone. Uh, they share experiences and resources and what's worked for them. A lot of time they need validation. You know, is it me or is it them type of conversations, reality checks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, relieve stress just by talking and sharing. The creation of a safe space to talk um, and community, a sense of belonging somewhere. There are other people who are experiencing what right. I am. Absolutely. And they're managing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's important that everyone at these uh, support groups has a chance to talk. Sometimes I've been at support groups where it's one issue that's discussed and one family gets all the attention. We have a format that tends to limit that so that everybody has a oh, chance good. to talk. Good. Well, that's great. That's great because you want people to feel um, that they're they're able to get their needs met as well in the support group, and and wanting them to come back <laughs> is mm-hmm. an important mm-hmm. piece for that ongoing support. Is you know this is just a a question um, with the support groups. Is it just for the immediate family, or is it could it be extended family of this loved one as well, or is it just for parents? Like, or is it very depending on how the chapter is set up? Is there Yes, there's support groups mainly for the caregiver or the contact person. Okay. It can be family, friends, partners, um, but we don't advocate bringing the person who has a mental illness unless that person is there for another person who has a mental illness. Okay. Say a parent for a child who has a mental illness. Sometimes it runs in families. Right, right. Uh, So as long as they're stable and able to participate, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we're talking about the impact on the family, and the family could be a very small, like, you know, uh, tight-knit, right. immediate family, but it could also be a larger family mm-hmm. and wanting to make sure that all of the family members are given that same kind of level of information and guidance so that they can support one another, and especially the parents or the spouse of the one of the individual that is diagnosed, um, it, I think is an important piece that, you know, mm-hmm. getting that help and that support um, is something that people should should definitely tap into and, and reach out to. Um, so, you know, how does the family member get connected to their local NAMI? I know we mentioned that there's the, the NAMI website they can check out, but, you know, do they just Google NAMI and then put in their city name, or how, how would they make that connection? If they were to go to the, to the national or the state website, they would tell them the nearest affiliate uh, that has the website or the phone number of the local affiliates. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people just simply call our office. Uh, that phone number is 716-226-6264. And our office coordinator there has all of the information at her fingertips of when the meetings are and what's going on. You can visit our website, www.namibuffalony.org. Or you can simply come to a support group meeting or an educational meeting or you can sign up for the family to family or the home front course. 
And I think it's important that, um, as you mentioned earlier, that these are volunteers that are that are committed to providing support for other family members um, who have a loved one with a mental illness, um, so that they know that they're not alone. And I think you 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 really highlighted that that it's really bringing you into a new community, a new family um, that of people that understand. And it's also a safe place to be able to express how you're feeling. Because as a parent um, of, a, of an adult child with mental illness, you're, you're struggling with, um, you know, people saying, well, you should do this or you should do that. But what you really can do and what you can't do <laughs> is really important to understand when it's an adult child um, with mental illness. And I think being able to talk with other parents who have gone through it, maybe who are a little bit more um, ahead in the in the maybe the phases of that we talked about earlier in the show and and the hope that they'll get to that phase sometimes is is really, I think, a helpful piece that I think the NAMI support groups can provide for, for families members as well. So um, in addition to support groups, you talked about the different education programs that you offer, the information. Um, There's a lot of advocacy that NAMI does. Um, So can you talk about the types of legislation that you've advocated for to help improve services for individuals with mental illness? A big one that's coming up uh, probably today nationally legislation is known short, short by the Murphy Bill. It's called H.R. 2646, Helping Families in Mental Health Crisis Bill. Um, It has a broad range of mental health reforms, including funding for assisted outpatient treatment, hospital beds being increased. We're losing them um, so the people who are ill Mm -hmm. can't get the hospitalization when they need it. Also, it's possibly changing the HIPAA privacy law so that families can get more information and more help. Um, Most of it is protected, but we're trying to change it. It doesn't look like that's going to happen this time. Um, It's sponsored by uh, Representative Tim Murphy of Pennsylvania, who is also a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And in New York State, we've supported a bill that would increase the doctor's ability to override the insurance company's decision not to approve prescribe medication. They like to prescribe generics that sometimes don't work for certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the Senate. Uh, in the Assembly, mental health education in schools. Uh, looks like that was passed already. Uh, paid Family Leave Act, so that a person can get paid family mm-hmm. leave when there's a mental health situation as well as well as well as a physical situation. Um, for someone who's experiencing a psychiatric emergency. Uh, And making Kendra's Law permanent. This bill comes up for approval every five years, and um, it's very expensive and really um, very much needed. It would amend the mental hygiene law and the correction law to improve the care for people with serious mental illness and protect the safety of patients in the public by streamlining and approving AOT program, which is Kendra's Law. Mm -hmm. It's one way when people are refusing and continue to relapse um, that they can get help. And also to regulate the use of solitary confinement in prisons for Mm -hmm. people who are mentally ill. And another bill mandating training on mental health for correctional officers and prison staff. Mm -hmm. So those are 
just just a, a few, few but of many very uh, important legislation absolutely and I think you know one thing I just want to kind of as we kind of wrap up our discussion today um, the work that NAMI does is just such a, a powerful and critical component um, in the mental health system in your community um, and as Marcy had shared the different types of legislation that's out there having family members to be able to speak to our elected officials directly on why these things are important is really something that's just such a, an important another important service that that NAMI does provide. So, Marcy, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, we really were able to provide a lot of great information for families, and we just want to remind families to to just reach out um, to your local NAMI. Again, the NAMI uh, national website is NAMI.org. And then here in Buffalo, New York, for our Buffalo listeners, uh, you reach out to NAMIBuffaloNY.org, or you can email them at NAMIBuffaloNY at gmail.com. So thank you again, Marcy, for for joining me today. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in uh, for another episode of The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join me every week on Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. So thanks again for tuning in today. And do your part this week to provide hope to others. tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a 